You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Go ahead and turn with me to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 33. Leviticus 23, verse 33. We're going to read through verse 44 in just a moment. Someone took the time to calculate how a typical lifespan of 80 years would be spent. And here's basically that estimate. This lifespan we're talking about is 29,200 days, 700 1,800 hours, 42,048,000 minutes. And how is that divided out? Well, 33% of it is spent sleeping. Some of y'all are like, no, I only sleep five hours a day. Well, the other three, you're not worth much. All right? Uh, Work is 23% of our our lives, 19 years. Phones are 18.75% of our lives on average. 15 years on our phones. TV's another nine years. Eating is almost seven years. Some of y'all may have about 12, judging by the looks of you. Travel and leisure are about 12 years. Illness, just being sick, on average, five and a half years of our life. Uh, Dressing is 2.24 years. Some of y'all are nudging your spouses right now. And then religion is only half a year, (laughs) of all religions, of course, Uh, not just biblical ones, right? And church, let me just say right here, let me just pause and say, we have three events, three gatherings a week in our church that are regular. We have Sunday morning small group Bible studies at 9.30. We have worship service, which you're here at, at 10.30. And then on Wednesday nights, we have prayer meeting at 6.30, three hours. But let's just say we go long and it's four hours. If you came to every service, 52 weeks of the year, which we don't even have because some of our Wednesday nights are are canceled for spring break and holidays and things like that. But let's just say you came to every one of them. Every Sunday morning, I mean, you drove back from vacation. You planned all of your time around those three weekly events. If you were here every time, never sick, you'd still only be spending 1.9% of your life gathered with God's people. You tip bad waiters 10 times that amount. Think about that. In Leviticus, there are a lot of chapters uh, building up to these seven feasts of the Lord. You got uh, chapter 17, the sanctity of blood. Chapter 18, the sanctity of marriage. Chapter 19, the sanctity of societal ethics. Chapter 20 is about the sanctity of justice. Chapters 21 and 22 are about the sanctity of the priest. And then chapter 22 is about the sanctity of offerings. And then we come to chapter 23. And it's about the sanctity of what? Time. The sanctity of time. Is Christ sanctified on your calendar? Does he have the first spot in 2023 for your family? Not too late to move him up. All right. There's seven prescribed feasts in Leviticus 23 that highlight the the calendar, the timing of God's people. And today we're going to look at the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths. Time matters, and God made sure we learned about it. That great scholar uh, that we all know well, Dr. Seuss, once said, how did it get so late so soon? It's night before it's afternoon. December is here before it's June. My goodness, how the time has flown. How did it get so late so soon? Listen, time flies. 
But our problem isn't a lack of it. Our time, our problem with time is that we don't put the big rocks in the jar first. Y'all know that illustration? You put the big rocks in, then the little rocks, then the pebbles, then the sand, then the water. That's the only way you can get all those things in there. You gotta put the big rocks in first. And our problem in the church as believers is spiritual efficiency because we don't put the big rocks in first. So we spend all our time making up for that mistake. Leviticus 23 reminds us of this and reminds us that God gave his life to be with us so we should give our calendar to be with him. So why don't we stand back up in honor of God's word and read this together. Leviticus 23, verse 33. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying on the 15th day of the seventh month and for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day, that's because a day in... in their day started at night, so it rolled into the next day. On the eighth day, you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It's a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. Verse 37. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burn offerings, grain offerings, sacrifice, and drink offerings, each on its proper day. Besides the Lord's Sabbath, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all your freewill offerings, which you give to the Lord. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate. It's as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It's a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths. For seven days, all native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feast of the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. I want to ask Walter Huey to come and ask God's blessings on our message today. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we, we thank you for your presence here, for your indwelling spirit in us. Uh, we thank you for your mercies that are new every day. <clears throat> for your grace, it's not only sufficient, but abundant. Amen. And we thank you for all these things. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, to him be glory forever. Amen. 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 Thank you, Walter. Y'all can be seated. The Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booths, or even the Feast of Ingathering, you know, when God in gathers his people back together in the Millennial Kingdom, which we'll talk about later, it was the final celebration of the year, a seven-day festival that closed out all of the agricultural cycle. It wasn't like it was the last day of the year. Some people argue that it was the end of the calendar year, but it was the end of the harvest. It was the time for the harvest to reset, right? And so it was a celebration. And there are several simple descriptions about the Feast of Tabernacles that I believe will help transfer to us from this ancient 
uh, feast that we don't participate in. So how is it going to be practical for our faith today? And I think there's three words I believe that will make it uh, hit home for us. And the first descriptor is complete. There's a fullness that, that we experience in Christ uh, that we are required by faith to give back to the Lord uh, in every part of our lives and especially our calendars. Leviticus 23 37 is kind of like um, it's like a two-minute warning in a football game right it's like when you pull into the gate your plane's already landed your plane is pulled up to the gate but you're still in your seats and then the captain dings that bell ding, and everybody you know jumps up as if the door's open to the plane and you stand there for 10 more minutes all right that's what it's like it says these are the appointed feasts of the Lord for presenting to the Lord offerings burnt offerings grain offerings sacrifice drink offerings Besides the Lord's Sabbaths, besides your gifts, besides all your vow offerings, besides all your free will offerings, which you give. So Moses is making clear in the way he's speaking here that he's not talking about swapping one thing for another, right? Just like uh, he's, he didn't swap the law. We don't swap the law of God for the grace of God. It wasn't like we bought a, a sweater that's too big and so we took it back to exchange it for a smaller size. These special feasts didn't nullify all these other offerings to God. Well, I, I did this, right? This is why God, I believe, started by talking about the weekly Sabbath before he even jumped into the feast. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Remember in Matthew 23, 23, it says, uh, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. He says, you tie the tenth of your mint, dill, and cumin, these little, you're all particular. You count the number of leaves on your plants so that you'll pick off just enough. He said, you should have done the former without neglecting the latter, the weightier things like justice and mercy and grace. But what he says in Matthew 23, 23 is, you should have done this and that. Not either or, right in the middle of what would be the Feast of Tabernacles. Listen to this, and this is not to over-spiritualize this, but it's interesting that in Genesis 8, verse 1 and verse 4, this is way back, God remembered Noah and all the beasts of all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the Mount Arab. Y'all, that's right in the middle of what would 800 years later become the Feast of Tabernacles. Right in the middle of that week, it was the judgment of God was done. It was complete. His punishment of the world was complete. He had rescued all, he had rescued humanity in that ark. And when it came to rest, it was over, right? And that's the level of access God demands for our calendars. He does, demands complete access. It's not saying, it says food offerings, offering, offering, offering after offering. Then it says besides this, besides this, besides this, besides this. It's not a decision to give this day or that day to the Lord. This offering and that offering is how we should think of it. Martin Luther, the great pastor and reformer said, there are two days in my calendar, this day and that day. <laughs> and guess what? They both belong to God. We cannot, as a church, look back two decades and go, you know, I did my time in the nursery. It's time for me to step, to move on. Well, I got news, and, you know, other people need to step up. You're right about that. Believers should step up. Believers should step into weekly service opportunities to God. But that doesn't mean their stepping up should mean you step out. You may want to step into a different ministry. 
but we're supposed to live in the saddle of God's service, right? I love the smell. I love to ride horses, by the way, and I love the smell of leather, a leather saddle. And I love vacations. I was telling the church Wednesday night at prayer meeting, I'm gonna be going on a cruise soon. I'm ready for a vacation. That's great. But I'll tell you what, when I get back, I like being in the saddle. I like having to get up and get in the word of God. I actually enjoy it. And I pray that the Lord would put you in a place where you can enjoy the things you're doing and enjoy him. We cannot step out of ministry. Let me just say this. Norma Stanley has been bruised from head to toe for two months because of an accident. She took a spill. She's got an ailing husband at home with chronic back pain right now. And two weeks ago and today, she was at church at 930 teaching women the Bible with a cane. Miss Betty McManus, also with a cane in her 80s, don't kill me. Uh, <laughs> rain, or sh rain or shine... She's here on Wednesday nights bringing homemade baked desserts, the highlight of our Wednesday night supper. <laughs> Though you can tell who comes to prayer meeting. Uh, she brings free baked goods and, and feeds us on Wednesday night it's just so people can come straight from work and won't have to worry about a meal so they can be part of our one-hour prayer time. And I'm telling you, I've literally seen her come in soaking wet in the pouring down rain. Tom McDougall, pick on him a couple months ago, he spoke to our men's group and he so very genuinely said, you know, he's got bad knees and he said, if I could, I would serve in every capacity in this church. And yet even with his bad knees, he sits out there and greets people on the, on the you know, the greeter rotation. Uh, I grew up at Leewood across town and we'd have a guy named David Ring come and speak. I don't know if y'all know David Ring. He has cerebral palsy. He's an incredible evangelist. And he was born 18 minutes of his birth. He was dead. And it killed part of his brain. And he has cerebral palsy. And he speaks with a slur. And when he speaks, he'll say, I have cerebral palsy. What's your excuse? <laughs> Friend, the only thing that limits us is our heart and our mind. Because our God has no limits in what he can use us to do. Let me say two things here. First, appointed time is not to be confused as compartmentalized time. Church, if you have like a church face and a home face and a work face and a game face, you got no face. That's what you got. If you think Leviticus 23 means that we're supposed to allot time for God, if that's how you think of Sunday morning or the purpose of these feasts, it's a, you have a gross misunderstanding of God's word. God's not God. He's not the Lord of your life if you have to pencil him into your calendar. He deserves every day of the calendar. But secondly, fixed calendars, those fixed weekly events do cultivate more faithful Christians, right? It's not as though these are the only times we gather for worship or to give offerings or to, or to fellowship with believers. As if Wednesday night's the only time we gather as a church, you know, the only time the church is to pray. No, it, it's, but those things do, those fixed times do bring greater spiritual reflexes for spontaneity in Christ, for devotion to Jesus. You know, people, there's all these miracles of God in the Bible, but they happen in the daily grind of a Christian life, the daily scheduled time. You want God to show up in your life? Well, put him on your calendar. 
I, I don't think every one of y'all come in here and walk out the door every day and go, man, boy, went preach the heavens down. Boy, that worship was incredible. I think sometimes you're hitting on all cylinders and you're like, I'm ready for Jesus to come back right now. That song was so good. Take me home. And then other times you're like, man, just not feeling it today. And guess what? I don't hate you for that because that's the unfortunate rhythms of a sinful life. We're sinners. We have ups and downs. But I'm going to tell you, <laughs> the daily grind matters. And the fixed times are good. They help breed those spontaneity, uh, those spontaneous parts of our life in Christ. Someone once said, if we take care of the moments, the years will take care of themselves. Right? Which comes first? Is it the fixed schedule that breeds the faithful life or is it the faithful life that breeds the fixed schedule? I don't know, but it's never one or the other. I can tell you this, CEO Christians, that's what we call Christmas Easter only Christians. <laughs> Obviously, you're not one of them. You're Christmas Easter and Super Bowl Sunday. I'm just kidding. But I, I can tell you this, CEO Christians are usually not faithful Christians, but faithful Christians are usually here on Christmas and Easter, you know? So I don't know what comes first, but I know it's both. God is all or nothing. He's complete. And the Feast of Tabernacles is a reminder of that. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was more than completion of harvest. It was more than complete devotion to God. It was also joyous. There's the second word. It's complete and it's joyous. Actually, it's the most joyous of all the feasts of the year. It looks backward and forward and finds joy in every direction, right? God's people were rescued from Egypt. They were protected in the wilderness and they were victorious in battle as they entered into the promised land. Psalm 121 verse eight says, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So the Feast of Tabernacles was joyous in two ways. One, it was joyous in remembrance. One commentator said the rationale for their temporary accommodation, you know, the Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles is given in verse 40, uh, 43, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. After Israel settled in their, their, their own land and enjoyed the comfort of permanent housing, it'd be all too easy to forget that it was the Lord who led them out of Egypt, provided food and shelter during their wilderness journey. They might think they were self-sufficient that the food and security they enjoyed were the result of their own labor rather than the Lord's generosity. But such arrogance would, at least annually, be deflated by the observance of this ceremony which reminded them of their past. That's what repentance and faith is. It's, it's, it's ADO, arrogance deflating observances, right? That's what group, small group Bible studies are. That's what the Lord's Supper is. That's what a prayer to God is. That's what church-wide worship gatherings are. They're reminders, they're ADOs, arrogance deflating observances, reminding us that we didn't get here on our own. <laughs> Nehemiah 8 verse 9 says, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Verse 12, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. What did they understand that made them rejoice? They understood the salvation and protection and provision of the Lord. Okay, we get it. We get it now. 
Nehemiah 9, verses 15 and verse 21 clarifies this, saying, You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst, and you told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. Verse 21, 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes didn't wear out, and their feet did not swell. (laughs) But God's provision was more than just physical rescue. It was a spiritual rescue. Habakkuk captures this idea. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 17. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom. And this is where some of you are at right now. Nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. Should the the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Nothing. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll take joy in what? The God of my salvation. It's not just physical, it's spiritual rescue. Warren Wearsby said, uh, wherever he lived, Hudson Taylor, a famous missionary, uh, would put above his fireplace two Hebrew words. One was Ebenezer and one was Jehovah Jireh. Ebenezer, thus far, it means thus far has the Lord helped us, 1 Samuel 7 verse 12. And then Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Genesis 22, verse 14, right? Just like he provided that ram in the thicket for Abraham, he's providing. We should thank God for his hases and his willses. (laughs) He has done it and he will do it, amen? Past and present. Joyous in remembrance and also joyous in gratitude. Now, gratitude sounds like someone stuck two words together, grateful and attitude, and that's about right. It's a grateful attitude. The Feast of Tabernacles was one of the most, it was one of the most celebrated feasts of, of the whole year, but it was actually celebrated, it was, it was commanded way in advance of when it would be celebrated. This was a, a feast for a people that were not yet home. It was also the last of three occasions where uh, God commanded all the Hebrew men to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate. This is one of those three. It was really important. But what's so joyous about sleeping in a man-made tent for a week? That didn't sound fun. Leviticus 23, 42, you shall dwell in booths for seven days. Well, we know part of the celebration was for gratitude for the immediate harvest. The harvest had come to a, a, a close. And so this was a, hey, thank you, God, for this incredible harvest season, right? But it wasn't just building a fort with dad or going on a camping trip this summer, right? There were specific instructions on how to build the booth that they would sleep in. Leviticus 23, 40 says, and you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, bows of leafy trees, willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And Nehemiah records the same event back when he rebuilt, uh, he and Israel rebuilt Jerusalem. Nehemiah 8 verse 14, they found it written in the law that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his own roof. So picture this, now they're living in the promised land in Nehemiah, they've got these, they've got their own houses now. But they, they read in the law, this is what we should do. So they go and do it and they build these tents. It's like putting a tent up in your own backyard, you know, right behind your own house. They, put, they built them around the, the, t- the tabernacle, you know, the temple. Uh, it says, and in, I'm sorry, in their courts and in the courts of the house of God. And in the square at the gate, the water gate, and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths. 
And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, uh, he read from the book of the law. And just so you know, those different, uh, the, the different trees had a different purpose. You know, there were some trees that were there for uh, protection. Some trees were there. Uh, the fruit was there to remind us of the abundance of God. They say, commentators say the willows trees were used for their strips of willows to tie the other, to tie it all together like a string, right? So it kind of makes sense to you what, how, why they and how they were building them. But it was really a beautiful picture. Sound a lot, a lot like a youth camp. Right? I mean, everybody's just having a blast camping in these tents. It was really like Woodstock on Jesus instead of drugs. Instead of a sexual revolution, it was a Jesus revolution. And, um, and the people were pumped because, not just because they had a bigger house. They're not just saying, oh, look, whoo, remember when we were poor? Man, this is so much better than being poor. Remember that? This is, that's not what this is about. It's not about the size of their blessing. It's about the source of their blessing. This is what Jesus has, uh, God has done for us. Deuteronomy 8, 7 says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills. You shall eat and be full. You shall bless the Lord your God for the, people, for the good land that he's given you. But take care, lest you forget the Lord your God, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of a flinty rock, who, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers didn't even know. He invented a food for you that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end? Church, listen, satisfaction in Jesus always comes with a warning label. And that warning label is this. Be careful lest you forget. <laughs> lest you replace gratitude and thankfulness with self-absorption, self-construction. I'm constantly amazed and actually shocked that at the number of brilliant scholars and scientists and botanists and who study intricately the details of creation only to come up with their new hybrid seed variant or a fatter chicken. And they're more impressed with their hybrid than they are with the original creation. How can you look so deep into the complex intricacies of God's creation and be so unimpressed with it? Forgetfulness and ingratitude are two trails that lead straight to pride and eventually idolatry. Remembering is the means, but rejoicing is the end. So that means joyous remembering is the pathway to joyous gratitude. Matter of fact, all these spring seasons kicked off, we kicked off in January, but these spring seasons that we started talking about with the Passover, the Sabbath, they all started in the spring with thanking God for his, for his provision. And here God's tying a bow on it with reminding them again of his provision. Well, this feast is a complete demonstration. It's a joyous occasion. And I got to be quick with the third one. It's a holy habitation, right? Not a hibernation. <laughs> we're not to go in there and sleep. We're to, we're to, we're to remember the habitation of God with us. One uh, traditional Jews, Jewish observance of this feast centers on building a booth and the blessing of the palm branch with a citrus fruit from Israel. And we don't know that it was just citrus, by the way. There are other fruits. It even is believed that the birth of Jesus took place during the Feast of Booths. But what we do know for certain is that the, the word tabernacle 
here points to a future day when the Messiah sets up his messianic kingdom and literally tabernacles or dwells with us. Don't miss this part. Revelation 21 verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth and I saw the holy uh, city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Put your, get, let your mind wrap around that for a minute. God with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And by the way, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Habitation with God is about two things. The gracious, the gracious choice of the host to dwell with us. By the way, I said the host, even though he's coming here to dwell with us, you know, in the millennial kingdom, and we won't get into the end time right now, but there will be a, some type of millennial kingdom where we'll return and the restructured earth, and he'll be dwelling with us. Matter of fact, Paul says to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. We're going to dwell with God. But it, it, I call him the host, even though he's coming to get us, Right? Because I think of it like this. If, you're, if your mom and dad give you a house, they just give it to you. They give you the keys to it. And then you invite them over to have a meal and they bring all the food. They bought your house and they bought all the food. Who do you think the host is? <laughs> if you've been given time, use it wisely, right? Don't, by the way, don't pat yourself on the back because you came to church. Look at me. You wouldn't even have any time in the first place to come to church if God hadn't given it to you. He's the host. We need to remember we wouldn't have time unless God gave it. Praise God that Jesus fulfills every one of these feasts. Jesus is the fulfillment of all seven feasts. The Passover pointed to the Messiah as the Passover lamb. The unleavened bread pointed to his sinlessness. The first fruits pointed to the Messiah's resurrection. The Pentecost, 50 days after that, pointed to the great harvest of souls when he poured out his spirit on mankind. The Feast of Trumpets points to the preparation of the rapture of the church. The Day of Atonement points to the actual second coming itself. And the Feast of Tabernacles points to the Lord's promise that he will one day tabernacle with us when he returns to reign over the world. So there's the choice of God to dwell with us. And second, the loving result of that choice, which is pretty simple. No more tears, no more death, no more pain. Only rejoicing. If you can fathom your, the most joyous moment in your life and make that moment every minute of your life, it still wouldn't hold a candle what heaven is going to be like with Jesus. It's beyond human comprehension. Time has been biblically and poetically described as a vapor, sorrowfully depicted as a thief, scientifically explained as the fourth dimension, practically seen as valuable and limited. It's one of the greatest riddles of the universe, and yet God allows our decisions and our actions to define whether time is our ally or our enemy. Is time your friend or your foe? Well, it all depends on whether you put the big rocks in first. 
The world would say, take control of your time and live your own life. You make your choices. You do what's best for you. You do you. And God says, no. I tell you what, if you'll surrender your time to me, I'll give you not your own life. I'll give you your best life in me, in him. Yesterday's the past, tomorrow's the future, but today's a gift. That's why it's called a present. May God help us open that present with care and priority. Amen? Would you stand? Let me pray with you. Father God, we pray that if there's anyone here today that wants to come and be part of this church and serve you, use their time to serve the bride, the church, until you return, Lord, may we be caught serving the, the bride. Lord, may we never want to step out of service to you. We may change what we do, but God, help us to stay in this, be people of the saddle. <laughs> I pray if there's people here that don't know you, that they would understand that your literal desire is to be with them. I know that's mind-blowing. I don't even understand it. I cannot look at my sinful life and comprehend how you would want to be with me. But you do. And I pray you would help people today that may not have called on your name yet to understand that in their hearts and call on the name of Jesus and be saved. Turn from your sin. Believe in Jesus. And he will save you. You don't have to know everything about it. I don't know everything about electricity, but I flip the light switch on when I come into a room. And I pray we would do that with what we know. Let us act on what we know about Christ and call on the name of Jesus and be saved and say, Lord, help me. Forgive my sin. And you can make that decision public today, right now. Lord, I pray that we be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.